Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. If you'll notice on your notes the statement here from Dr. Roy Hicks on the top of the page, Dr. Roy Hicks, Sr., if you don't know, was one of Dr. Barclay's spiritual dads. He was one of the founders of the Four Square Movement. <clears throat> he was a great, great Bible scholar and a great man of God. I was very privileged because when I got to be ordained by my pastor, I was ordained by Coy, but when I finally found my pastor, Dr. Barclay, when I went to the leadership conference uh, where I got ordained, guess who was there? Roy Hicks was there. And so when pastor laid hands on me, he had Roy Hicks lay, lay hands on me. And so what a blessing to be able to have those two great men of God to impart into my life as I was ordained under them. So staying out of sin, quote from Dr. Roy Hicks Sr. I'm sure you've heard it before, but if you haven't, it's a very important one to remember. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. <clears throat> It'll take you farther than you want to go, because as a believer, even if you're flirting around with it, which you shouldn't be, the problem is it'll wind up pulling you in, <clears throat> taking you far beyond what really you want to do in relationship and life to sin because it starts becoming destructive. It will therefore do what? It will therefore keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will ultimately cost you more than you want to pay. Now, I love this statement, uh, no, uh, point number one by Dr. Barclay, and this is important to remember. Always remember that God knows. Say, God knows. Underline this. God knows. Underline that, those two words there. What does he know? He knows the difference between sin chasing you and you chasing it. God knows. God knows the heart of every individual. So we certainly realize that some people may still have some strongholds and some issues of bondages to sin in their life. But that doesn't mean you're chasing the sin. That means the sin is chasing you and it still has a hold on your life. But God also knows if you are chasing it. Let me tell you what you do not want to do in the last days. Chase sin. You do not want to do that. The Bible talks about the very fact that inequity within the heart, <clears throat> the desire for sin comes within the, in, within the individual. And the, the scripture is clear. Book of James, guess who's going to get tempted into sin? Let's back up a minute. <clears throat> Let's rewind the tape. What's sin? Just missing the mark. God had a life plan for us that was good. And when we choose to violate what we know the Bible teaches, we're just missing the mark with God, which ain't good. But realize, therefore, does everybody, quote-unquote, necessarily give in to sin? No. Does everybody get tempted by sin? Yes. Every individual. There's not a person on the planet who doesn't get tempted by sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. The sin is when you give in to the temptation. And what he's going to help you with tonight is some things to stop, obviously, going forward beyond the temptation and getting caught up into sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Are you there? We're going to read the first 13 verses here. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers, who? Who fathered? Those of the Old Testament. Those basically really referring to that generation of Israel that came out of Egypt. Them coming out of Egypt for us was a type and shadow of what? The world. Us coming out of the world. Us coming out of sin. Us getting delivered from that old nature. <clears throat> 
I don't want you to be ignorant, <clears throat> unaware, excuse me, uh, unaware or ignorant, because you would be unaware, that all of our fathers were what? They were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All ate the same what? Spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So realize that even though, guess what? They all got the same spiritual food. They all got the same spiritual drink. They, all this is saying is they all had the same opportunity to enter into what God had for their life. But sadly, for most of them, God was not well pleased. <clears throat> Verse 6. Now, these things became what? What did they become? <clears throat> so realize we have it recorded so that that can give us an example of what not to do. Not just in aspects of acts of how you live your life, but what led to it? What caused them to obviously not want to honor God? So these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What does that have to do with idolatry? We're going to find out. We'll come back. Verse 8, nor let us commit what? Sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Now that wasn't God killing them. That was judgment. God knew their hearts. They were wicked. They were evil. They did not want to serve God. How many know he knows the hearts of all men? What would have happened if God wouldn't have kept stopping this rampant overgrowth of sin in the Old Testament with the people of Israel? There'd have been no Virgin Mary. If he wouldn't have kept a remnant around to serve him by dealing with the evil, then guess what? It would have overtaken everybody. That's why in Noah's day, God comes down to one solution. It's so bad in Noah's day that he's got to flood the whole earth. That's pretty bad. I said, that's pretty bad. Verse 9, nor should we tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, nor what? Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. 11, now all these things again happened to them as examples for us. Now that didn't happen so it could be an example. It just means because it happened. We have an example to help us. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands do what? Underline that. Take heed lest he fall. Take heed lest he fall. Don't just think you're not going to get in, in context, you're not going to get in trouble with sin. We've got to make sure that we do what's necessary to make sure we don't. So that's what it's referring to. 13, no temptation. This is powerful. No temptation has overtaken you. Now, temptation doesn't mean sin. You're just being tempted. No temptation has overtaken you except such as what? Is common to man. Nobody's been tempted with something somebody else hasn't. <clears throat> because again, all of us have been tempted with similar things. Notice this. But God is faithful. Underline that. In the midst of the temptation, he is faithful who will not allow you, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. That means you have the ability by God 
to be able to come out of those temptations. But with the temptation, he will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Does God tempt us? No, he doesn't. I don't have time, but James tells you God tempts no one. He has no evil to tempt anybody with. So this isn't referring to with the temptation, God makes a way out like God's tempting you. No. In the midst of the temptation, guess what? In every temptation to open your mouth in a way that you shouldn't, act in a way you shouldn't, do something you shouldn't, in every one of those temptations, guess who's in the midst of that temptation providing a way out? God is. And if we'll look to him and rely on him, guess what he'll do? He'll help lead us out of that temptation. What's powerful about that is, guess what? You're not going to overcome temptation on your own. But guess who's there to help you come out of it? God is. God is. That's pretty good. Number two, on your notes, the Bible tells us of several reasons why God was not well pleased with his people. Verse 5 tells us that he clearly was not well pleased with what? With most of them. Verse 6 there said that we should not clearly lust after what? Evil things. Now guess what's in your flesh? Desire for wrongful things. The Bible says there's nothing good that dwells in your flesh. That just means if you let the carnal nature rule you, the old fleshly nature, it's never going to lead you down a good path. It's going to always lead you down a wrong path. Did God intend for man to be governed by his old fleshly nature at the time he was created? He did not. Because clearly, though, even at the time of his creation, he was not evil in any sense of his flesh, but yet he created him spirit with a soul and a body. What got Eve in trouble? She allowed her eyes, her body, what she saw, and her soul, a part of the aspect of a nature of her that did not obviously subject herself to the spirit, to allow that desire to override what God said. What if she'd have listened to her heart? She would have known it was wrong. But now realize again, Eve was what? She was deceived. So what was the real problem where Eve got in trouble? Can you ladies tell me what is it that I should recognize about what Eve did that would help me to guard against the very same thing happening in my life? Because the Bible tells us Eve was deceived, Adam was not. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. Now, I don't want to get into all this discussion about, um, because, you know, you could say Adam was truly at fault to begin with because Adam was given responsibility to guard that garden. So obviously Satan got in and he had the power and authority to kick him out, but he didn't do it for some reason. On top of that, why did Adam actually uh, commit sin on purpose? I'll tell you why. Because this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in his life since God, and that's Eve. He asked for a helpmate. God gave him this wonderful helpmate. And God said, the minute you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. She was deceived. She ate of it. So what does Adam now know? She's going to die. The Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. New Testament. What did Jesus do? Gave his life for us because we were dead. I believe Adam gave his life for his wife. I believe he did it knowingly because he said, I don't want to live without her. So she can't live. I'm not going to live. And that's why I think he did it knowingly. But realize this, ladies, what is it you can do to guard against what happened to Eve? Let me tell you, you've got to recognize what God says about what you're to do and not to do with your life. And anything that tries to tempt you with your natural carnal nature to want to go a direction that you know God says you shouldn't, don't even flirt with it. Don't even begin to mess with it. Don't even begin to allow it to affect your thinking. Because that's what she did with Satan. How many know she knew she couldn't eat of that tree? So the moment Satan said anything about eating of that tree, what should she have done? Walked away. If she'd have walked away, that would have never happened. We wouldn't be going through what we're going through. 
So now, again, well, all, all the men would say, yeah, see, you women are at fault. It was eaten. No, wait a minute. Who was supposed to guard the garden? Adam was. So we're not here to put blame on either one of them. We're just simply to learn to understand what we know we can do to walk free from these temptations, right? So again, verse 6 very clearly says we should not lust after what? Evil things. So this applies to both the guys and the gals. I'm not just picking on, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not just talking about the women here. But here's the point. If I know something is evil, not good, right? Pornography, good or not? Not. not. Cussing? Not. Foul language? Not. not good. No. How about uh, robbing, stealing? No. no, not good. Those things are not, take anything that you know that's not good. If you know it's not good, don't flirt with it. Don't even begin to try to get around any aspect of it. Because if you do, you're opening the door for temptation. Now, verse 7c on your notes 2c, don't become an idolater making a God to fit your lifestyle. See, look at verse 7. It says that clearly, do not become idolaters as were some of them. And then it says that these very people did what? They sat down to eat and to drink and to and rose up to play. That doesn't mean like go out and enjoy some things. What does this actually refer to? So this talks about when they made a God for themselves. Remember what they did when Moses was up on the mountain? They sat down, they, 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 they ate, they, they drank, they partied, and they said, make us a, a, another God. Uh, uh, Aaron, you make us a new God. And so guess what? They made a golden calf. So they made a form of an idolatrous uh, God to worship. Now, how does that apply to me and you? We don't ever want to make a God to fit us, right? So I know people who say, well, I know people in church say that you can't do this or can't do that, but that's not how my God is. Well, wait a minute. The minute you say that's not how my God is, guess what you're going off into? Idolatry. Because if this is who the Bible says your God is, but you say that's not how he is to you, I got a word for you. You're creating a false God. And you don't want to do that. I said, you want to do that. 2D, verse 8 tells us that we should also not clearly commit what? Sexual immorality. So what should we do? We should not be with people of the opposite sex in a position to where we're going to get tempted to do so. Should not happen. We should not involve ourselves with things that would cause that temptation to begin with because that's going to open the door for that temptation to become a problem. 2E, nor should we do what? Tempt Christ. Well, how did they tempt God in the wilderness? They kept challenging him. He kept talking about aspects of what he was doing for him, that he'd already provided things for him, and they, quit, they, quit, they kept doubting and questioning him. So how do we tempt God? By questioning him. You're going to question God. Take what God says for the absolute that it is and say, I'm not going to question God. Whatever God says, that's the way it is. And if I all of a sudden start questioning God, I'm tempting God, which many of their time frame did over and over and over again, which led to F, verse 10, don't complain. What's one of the things that you know, obviously, is leading you down a wrong pathway to be able to obviously get in a position wrong with God? Complaining. Complaining doesn't help you in any way. Tell me one time complaining about anything fixed anything in your life. No, if anything, it just made things worse, even for you individually. Amen? Because complaining leads to what? Complaining leads to all kinds of issues and relating to how you start examining somebody from the outward instead of looking at their spirit. And now it can lead you to obviously treat them in a way you shouldn't, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Amen? So complaining is never good. Tell your neighbor, stop complaining. 2G, verse 12, we got to do what? Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Well, I would never sin. 
Well, I pray you don't, but listen, you got to say, I'm going to make sure I... Let me change that statement. Don't say I would never sin, because guess what? I'll guarantee you, you probably will. What you should say is, I'm going to do what's necessary to protect my life against sin, so that I don't keep giving into it. That's taking heed lest I fall. And then 2H, the last thing, I love it, verse 13, God will do what? He'll provide a way out of the temptation if we'll look to Him. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at some things that will help us. And then we're going to go over a list at the close of this. It's going to be really good. We're going to look at some things that Dr. Lester Summerall and Dr. Barclay sat down one night and came up with a list of things to help protect your life against sin. From two of the greatest men of God. I guarantee you what, I didn't know Dr. Summerall personally. I know people that knew him like Dr. Barclay. But I will promise you he was a man who did not give way to sin. But I'll tell you about our pastor, neither has he. This is a man of God. Of everybody that knows him will tell you, he is one of, the, one of the most holy men of God that I've ever met in walking with God. Not saying he's never messed up, but I'm just telling you, uh, he doesn't give way to sin. Galatians chapter 5, you there? In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7, notice Paul writing to the church at Galatia said, You ran well, meaning you started off good. You were, you were doing well at the beginning, but notice this. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Underline it. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You know what it never is that causes you to not obey the truth? It's never a what? <clears throat> I'll prove it. It's never a what? I'm going to show you in just a minute. It's always a who. Say it's always a who. Now, it's not like the who, who's from Whosville, you know, but, but it's always a who. It's always it's somebody. It's always somebody. There's always somebody that's going to cause us in some way to get misled in a way that obviously we shouldn't go into sin. Paul said again very clearly, you started off good, but who hindered you therefore from doing what? Obeying the truth. truth. Verse 8, notice this. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Jesus, in other words, is never going to do what? He's never going to lead you astray from the truth. Now, I'm going to show you in a minute again, it's always a who, and it's not the Holy Spirit either. It saddens me, even Christians who say they're close with God, they walk with God, I hear from God, I know God tells me things. I mentioned this before, I'm very proud of Mario Murillo, that finally a senior minister has spoken out against some of these false prophets of the day. And has clearly said that we've got to know the Bible warned us about this. And we've got people talking about all kinds of stuff. They're saying God told them that is not biblical, does not go along with Scripture. And therefore, guess who is not talking to them? God is not. And this is something that's so sad because a lot of people will tell you, even seriously, well-meaning people, even in our church at times, could tell you, I've done it, that they've heard from God. But the problem is if it goes contrary to the Word, it didn't come from God. He's not of the persuasion to lead you away from the truth. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not of him, God. Why? He's never going to lead you apart from the truth. If God's leading you, guess what it's always going to line up with? All the time. All the time. That's why I would never follow anything as it relates to a leading in my life that would lead me contrary to the word of God. What about even spending money? Does the Bible tell me and you to use wisdom in our decisions? Is it wisdom to overtax your finances to the degree that you can't pay your bills? Well, I just believe God told me to buy the thing. Well, let me help you. If God told you to buy it, why would he tell you to do that to put yourself in a position financially so indebted that now you don't have any money at all and you're barely getting by and now you're going to get frustrated and mad and upset at God that he didn't provide? No, you should have listened to God and used some wisdom. 
So realize that you and I will never be led by God astray from the truth. Amen? Verse 9, a little leaven does what? <clears throat> Leavens the whole lump. So this is in context again to what? This is in context to being misled. Say this with me. It's never a what? It's always a who that leads us away from the truth. Now, I'll prove it to you. Let's go over pastor's notes here first. Number three, the Apostle Paul here again asked the Galatians, who cut in on you? Who hindered, cut in? Who cut in on you to cause you to obviously go the wrong direction? 3A, you were running well. 3B, so therefore, who hindered you from doing what again? Underline it, obeying the truth. If you're obeying the truth, guess what you're not doing? You're not living in sin. You're not missing the mark. Remember, like we talked about this morning, if we sin, what happens in our walk with God? We break fellowship with God. Did he leave you? He did not. 1 John 1 said, though, if you say that you have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, you lie. And you're not speaking the truth. Because God again is what? God again is what? You need to go hear that message again. You need to go back over John 1, 1 chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 1, down through chapter 2 into verse 4. And you need to re read it several times and get the meaning of what he's saying about we're here to declare this to you. We're here to make this known to you. What was it he was making known? What was it he was making known? This is what he said. And here's what we have had him reveal to us and declare to you God is light. See, in those first four verses, he says, we're declaring to you, we're making something known to you that has been made known to us so that you can have what? You can have continued fellowship with the Father Amen. so that your fellowship doesn't get broken. And then he tells you what it was that he was going to declare to you. Then he says, so we declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He who says he walks in fellowship with God and walks in darkness lies and does not go by what the truth says. Well, guess what led him into that? A who did. A who did. Never a what. It's always a who. So I want you to get this. You need to understand what God's trying to help us know about the significance of living in sin unconfessed is we have broken fellowship with God. That hinders us in knowing he's there. Come on, Jehovah Shammah people from this morning. What's Jehovah Shammah? The Lord is there for me. What's he there for you to do? To help you, to give answers, to give guidance, to give wisdom. to get. How about just to experience how good he is? How about to go through? What did he tell you in verse 4 if you're walking in close fellowship with God? Why did he say, I'm telling you all this? What did he tell you in verse 4, 1 John chapter 1, verse 4? I tell you this so that your joy may be full. You know what God wants you living every day full of? Joy. Joy. Fellowship with the Father brings great joy. Hallelujah. Shake your neighbor and say, we could use a little more joy. <laughs> so how do you get it? Fellowship with the Father. But what breaks that fellowship? Living in darkness. Not acknowledging sin or choosing to do it, thinking it's no big deal. You're wrong. You can't walk in darkness and fellowship with God because God is light. But then he goes on to say, remember in the next verse, walk in the light as he is in the light. And you will have fellowship. So this is why we want to keep sin out. You know, I'm so grateful for our pastor because he's one of the only ones I know today still who deals with sin on and off. And I'll tell you why. It's not to put anybody in bondage. It's because if you get in sin, you're breaking fellowship with the Father. <clears throat> you're going to not be aware of God. And how many of you know this? If you continue to choose to live in willful sin, 
willful sin. You know what Timothy says? You're searing your conscience through with a hot iron. What's your conscience? Voice of your spirit. Who, who relates to your spirit? The Holy Spirit. How many would like to have answers from God? But if your conscience is seared through, guess what you're no longer able to know and recognize? The voice of your spirit. How does God speak to you? Through the voice of your spirit. By the Holy Spirit. See, this is why sin is so detrimental. Now, thank God if we do sin, we have an advocate. And if we are confessing our sins to God, just fessing up. Say, fess up. Tell your neighbor, you need to fess up when you do wrong. How many people, so many of my people say, well, I know the Bible says that, but really I'm not doing that. You're lying. If you know the Bible says it and you've done it, you need to fess up. All you're doing is breaking fellowship with the Father. So understand this. The Apostle Paul saying again, who hindered you from obeying the truth? I'm going to show you why it's a who. 3C, this persuasion doesn't come from Jesus who called you. Why? He's never going to lead you astray from the truth. And then 3D, if you allow any type of aspect of sin in your life and don't deal with it, guess what? A little leaven, going to leaven the whole lump. So you and I, this is why. This is, I get a lot of flack. I honestly do. I have subjects that I touch on that I get, every, every minister does. But one of the ones I get the most flack on is about friends, which we just talked about Wednesday night. But yet the Bible's clear about choosing your friends. The Bible didn't say don't be friendly. Tell your neighbor, you need to be friendly. Bible didn't say don't be friendly, but it did say you got to choose who your friends are, your close relationships, your companionships. You got to choose those carefully because even those who are not doing right in the sight of God will lead the righteous astray. Right? Don't, again, don't do what? You got to realize it. You got to understand I am not going to act as if I already can stand and hang around sinners and not have it affect me. You're wrong. The Bible says it will. So of these, th- these things, 3A, B, C, and D, I want to go back to point B. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Well, it could be a what, Pastor? Because if, for example, the person that was in relationship to sin got caught up with a uh, anything of a lifestyle, like a, their, their focuses, their toys, and what they play with, etc., and that leads them into sin. Now, wait a minute. But see, the toy didn't lead them into sin because the toy had nothing to do with convincing them to come and play with the toy. Who decided to play with the toy? The individual who owns the toy. It's always a who. It's never a what. It's not what you do. It's you allowing what may obviously tempt you to cause you to go and do something you shouldn't do. So understand it's always a who. I said it's always a who. So you should be careful who the who's are in your life. Right? Because a little leaven will do what? All right. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5. This is This is powerful. This is, a, this is a mainstay verse to live by as a believer to help you as it relates to sin. And boy, do we need to be reminded, on, uh, reminded about it on a constant basis. If you, if you will take to heart practicing and living this verse out, this will help you immensely in dealing with not being tempted like you obviously are already going to be even more to be getting into sin. How many know, again, you're all going to be tempted? So all of us are going to face temptations. Why add to it? Why, why add to the temptation? Let's make sure we're doing everything we can to cut temptations out of our life and protect against the ones that come. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you're there, say amen. Shout it at me. Verse 22, abstain, New King James says, abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. 
of evil. The word abstain, now the King James is actually more accurate here. The word abstain means stay away from or have no, no form of evil. The word form is appearance. Have no appearance of evil or stay away from is a better way to say it. If you want to render it from the Greek language more accurately, stay away from every appearance of evil. Simple. Stay away from every appearance of evil. What would be an appearance of evil? Okay, so we were, I thought of this the other day. We, we were coming back from dinner from uh, Cracker Barrel Thursday, driving back from Denton. We kind of turned the turn to loop to come around to 156 here to come down to Ponder. And as we do, there's this, was a, it was a truck. It was a truck up in front of me. And all of a sudden, and I mean, they're still moving, coming up to the stop sign, the door opens. So, you know what I'm thinking? They're probably going to dump like something out, you know, like a cup, you know, something in it or whatever. And I see this foot coming out. And I'm like, what in the world are they doing? And all of a sudden, before the truck even comes to a stop, this girl jumps out and the truck comes to a stop. She slams the door and walks over to the side of the road. I thought, they ain't getting along. <laughs> There's a problem here for sure. These two ain't getting along too good. And you know, it was the first thought in my mind, just because I want to help somebody, maybe I should stop and ask if she needs a ride. But you can say what you want, but immediately my heart said, "Uh uh-uh, and I just drove on. Now, she had a choice to stay in the vehicle, get out. I don't know why she wanted to get out of the vehicle. Maybe maybe she was being, I don't know, but here's the deal. What would it look like if I would have picked this woman up and agreed to take her somewhere, and all of you see me driving around with another woman in my vehicle that you've never seen before? Appearance of evil. I'll guarantee you right now, my pastor taught me, he said, you better learn that if you ever have a guest minister who's a woman come to your church to minister, you better take your wife with you to go pick them up. Don't ever be caught in a vehicle alone with another woman. Obviously, unless it's like, you know, in the case of Kathy's mom, if I, want, if I need to take her somewhere, I'm going to take her somewhere. I don't care what anybody thinks, I'm going to take her somewhere. That's what I'm, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the aspect of it being a family member, like Pastor and his daughter, you know, he used to take Don, of course, on dates, you know. And these other ministers says, we got you, man, we got you. We caught you with this other woman. We got pictures. Oh, really? Well, come show me the pictures. So they did. They said, you Fruit Loops, that's my daughter. I'm going to go spend time with my daughter, like it or not. But the point I'm trying to make is think about appearances of evil. Does it look good to go hang out in a bar? Now, I'm going to tell you right now, Tim goes to bars. But when Tim goes to bars, he don't go hang out. He dresses up as Santa Claus. I mean, you know Tim's story. Christmas time, he dresses up as Santa Claus. He goes in witnessing. He goes in talking and sharing the gospel. So I'm not talking about if you went in there, obviously, to witness to somebody. But you don't go witness by buying a beer and sitting next to him and drinking. I mean, I mean what would you think of me? Come on. What, number one, what would you be doing there, let alone me? But well, just had that thought, you know. Like the girl caught in adultery. Oh, so what are you doing here, right? I felt bad one time in Midland, Michigan, after their conferences. Midland, Michigan, you got to want to go there. There's no reason to go to Midland, Michigan, really, other than Dow Chemical, if you go to work there. But other than that, I mean, they're not much other than Living Word Church, you know. There's just not much to go to Midland, Michigan for. And so when you go there, obviously, for conferences... Guess what? Most of the restaurants shut down pretty early. It's like pastor says, you know, if he preaches long and it's 10 o'clock, he said, we might as well just preach a couple more hours because they know where you're going to go in Midland for anything. Everything's closed up. Everything's shut down, right? But there was a Bennigan's there for years. I don't think it's changed now, but we would go there to get, you know, uh, food after like the meeting. 
And so the bad part is I would usually get it because I would take it to my room and I would actually go and because I was doing some work and stuff. And I would, but to get it, guess what they make you do? They make you go sit at the bar to wait for the food. And I mean, the first time I walk in, I'm like, I got it. No, I'm going to sit over here. No, you got to sit. You got to go to the bar and order it. And you got to sit at the bar, you know, until they bring your food. I'm like, you know where everybody goes after a conference at Pastors? They go to Bennigan's. I'm serious. They all go to Bennigan's to sit and have dinner. So here I am sitting at the bar. And sure enough, lo and behold, man, here comes, you know, people from the conference, man. And I can't remember his name now. Um, he was one of the Marines guys that no longer comes to the meetings. Uh, him and his wife. But anyway, he walks in. He says, oh, this is a cute little picture. Who's got their camera with them? We need to take a picture of Pastor Baker sitting at the bar. Go talk to Dr. Barclay about this, you know. Of course, they knew. They knew I was getting some food. But guess what? Again, see, it's an appearance of evil. So if you came into a bar, which you had no reason being there unless you're there witnessing to somebody, and you see me sitting at a table with somebody drinking a beer, what would you think? What would be the first thought in your mind? You wouldn't have a thought about that? What would be the first thought of your mind? Our pastor is sitting in a bar drinking a beer. Oh, hey, how you doing, church family? I'm just witnessing, just witnessing. None of you going to have any negative thoughts about your pastor. Really, pastor? You're just witnessing? But see what I'm saying? I mean, it's simple, man. You just do what? Avoid all appearance of evil. If you avoid all appearance of evil, guess what you're eliminating? You ready? You're, el you're eliminating temptations from your life. <clears throat> you're eliminating temptations from your life. Live that verse. You're going to be tempted enough as it is. Live that verse, and guess what? You'll eliminate a lot of temptations. Because if it has an appearance of evil, there's, a chance, there's an opportunity for evil to take advantage. I'm going to say that again. If it has an appearance of evil, there's an opportunity, therefore, for evil to do what? Take advantage of you. Number four in your notes, as Christians, we must learn to totally repel sin. Totally. In fact, the Bible says to abhor it. We should not even have the appearance of sin. Now, I just had a thought in my spirit say, people are going to say, but you know what, Pastor? Come on, man. Reality is, I mean, Jesus himself hung around sinners. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up. Let's clarify your statement. Number one, he didn't hang around sinners. Sinners hang around him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. If he went into a sinner's home, they weren't partying, they weren't drinking, the booze wasn't out. Come on, man. The girls weren't tempting them. They're there to hear the Messiah. They want to hear what this man has to say. So you got to understand a lot of people say, well, Jesus went and hung out with sinners. No, sinners hung out with Jesus. They wanted to hear what this man had to say. Amen? Go to Romans 12. On your notes there, Romans chapter 12. But remember that verse because that's powerful. I mean, that... That alone will save you a lot of temptation to sin, but it will also help you to live a life free of sin as well. Romans 12, 9. Romans 12, 9. Let love be without what? Hypocrisy. In other words, truly, genuinely love people. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good advice. Good advice. You want to stay free from sin? Abhor what's evil. Abhor it. And do what? Cling to what's good. See, we should look at things that are evil no, no different than we would look at an enemy walking in the door wanting to take my life. I mean, seriously, we should recognize it as that bad of a threat to my life. And a lot of Christians, they'll toy and play around with certain sins, not thinking of it as something they should abhor 
And because they sit there and play around with it, eventually, guess what? They give in to the sin. Been there, done that. Far more times than I would ever want to admit in my life. But thank God in Jesus' name, I'm not near obviously dealing with that in my life like I was before. I have learned to start getting that stuff out of my life where it's not even a temptation. So understand that you and I got to do what? We got to make sure that we abhor evil. Number four, you got to learn to totally repel sin. In fact, the Bible says to do what? Abhor it. Abhor evil. Uh, We should not even have the appearance of sin. Abhor what's evil. Cling to what is what? Cling to what's good. How many know that the Bible's good? Church is good. Christian fellowship's good. So again, 4A, we're to avoid the very appearance of sin evil. Back of your notes, come on, we're going to wrap up tonight here. We're going to walk through uh, eight things, eight things in a conversation that Dr. Barclay and Lester Summerall had about staying out of sin, staying out of sin. The conversation came up, they began to talk about it, began to make a list of things that would help us to stay out of sin. The following list was compiled by Mark T. Barclay and Lester Summerall at the dinner table one night in Midland, Michigan. Eight things to do to stay out of sin. Number one, don't think you've arrived. Amen. Don't think you've arrived. What do you mean, don't think you've arrived? I guarantee you what, folks, you got to recognize that there are people who really do believe that they are better than everybody else, that they have come to a place of a higher level than everybody else. You want to be careful thinking that way. There are people who literally you cannot correct anymore. They don't think they need correction. They don't think they do anything wrong. I don't think there's any type of correction ever needed in their life. If you don't think you need correction, here's what you just said. I'm perfect. I've arrived. Guess what? None of us have. There's not a time that we don't go sit in our meetings with our pastor and I don't get little nuggets of correction in my life. The way I'm thinking, even as it relates to ministry, where I've allowed my faith to get a little weak in an area, where I've allowed the enemy to enter in with wrong thoughts about certain things to cause me to begin to challenge what I know God's told me to do, Etc., etc. So realize that correction is a constant thing of life as a child of God, and it should not be something that ever disappears from your life. Anybody ever come to church and get corrected? Yes. Yeah, and obviously it's good because we're, it's like I've given you the thing with the plane, right? I mean, you're going to have to constantly make adjustments because guess what the world's out here to do? Push you off course. Right. So sadly, I've had people in my life in 33 years as a pastor who have thought they arrived. And the way they do is here's how they do. Because they no longer can be corrected. If you can't be corrected, you think you've arrived. Dangerous place to live. 1A, notice this. Always watch your attitude about your life personally and for those in ministry and also their ministry. Because I guarantee you, I've heard multiple, multiple stories from Pastor and Brother uh, brother, uh, 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 Hagen, Kenneth Hagen, about ministers who died early. Because they became uncorrectable and they thought that they had arrived. Uh, I, I'm not going to tell you his name. But there's a very close friend of pastors who actually, uh, his son died in a plane crash. Great man of God. And his son died in his 30s. He's a pastor, had a great church, a great work. And he was also a traveling minister. Did a lot of traveling ministry to help other ministers. And they actually died in a plane crash and the report came in from the tower as they checked the report to find out why they died that day because it was bad weather. We don't understand they were told not to fly. Why did they go ahead and fly? 
They said, listen, we can't stop anybody from not taking off. If they want to fly in the weather, they have a right to. All we can do is warn them that we tell them, hey, you need to wait for about an hour or two till we get a clear ceiling. Pastor will tell you, I fly and not die. If they tell us not to fly, guess what we do? We go get a coffee. We go sit on the ground until they tell us, okay, now it's safe to take off. But see, this guy didn't. And, and the, the tower said in their report, they said, we don't know what they were doing. We told them not to fly. After we told them that, about 20 minutes later, all we saw was the four guys walking around the plane, filling the plane. Well, you know what they were doing? They were praying over that plane, thinking they could fly through that storm. Now, let me tell you, folks, the Bible's clear. Just because you have authority doesn't mean you don't use wisdom and think you can defy anything in life and go against it. Now, if it's coming against you, you have the authority to deal with it. But for him to wait a little while and fly is not going to cause him to miss out on what God's called him to do. And sadly, when they went to take off, they crashed. He didn't have to. I said he didn't have to. Don't ever think you've arrived and I've got all this authority. Or I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm uncorrectable, et cetera, et cetera. That's a dangerous place to be. 1B, don't have a lot of possessions or expensive things. Now, wait a minute. It didn't say you can't have any expensive things. But if you think, well, Solomon did, yeah, and how did Solomon wind up? Not good. Not good. To have a lot of expensive things, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get in a position now that those things become your God. Period. Now, it's not wrong to have some, but this is wisdom from a man. Dr. Sumrall, really John Osteen told him this, but Dr. Sumrall echoed a similar statement. John Osteen told Pastor a long, long time ago, and I'm not telling you our pastor's not blessed. You walk according to the Bible, you are. But this is what John Osteen taught him, which a lot of ministers have not learned. Mark, prosper to a degree. Put the rest back in the gospel. Because if you keep allowing this prosperity to just buy you more stuff and get more things, etc., etc., guess what it's going to do? It's going to tempt you to be able to get in sin and walk away from God. And it's happened to a lot of ministers. Well, it can happen to believers too. How about believers who initially came to church, had nothing, learned the principles of God? How many stories have we heard from Dr. Barclay on this? And all of a sudden, then they start seeing the principles of God work. They start prospering. Their business starts going well. And next thing you know, where they were desperate for God. This is what gets me. People, when they're desperate for God, will show up for almost everything in the church. But all of a sudden, when the desperation goes away, they go away. They start going back to where they were living before. They start pulling back. Less church, less God, et cetera, et cetera. More of my toys and my things and stuff. And guess where that's going to lead? Temptation to sin. Temptation to sin. This is wise counsel, folks, from a man who changed nations, not cities. Dr. Lester Sumrall. Uh, did Dr. Lester Sumrall uh, have, in context in the lifetime of, of his time that he lived, have a lot of money come through his hands? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Did he live well? Sure. But he, he didn't live above his means. He, he lived a very blessed life, but he only lived a blessed life because people kept blessing him. I love it. He had a guy back in the day when, when uh, almost nobody during uh, the time frame of the world, uh, I guess it would be World War II, a Great Depression following World War II, right? Uh, time frame anyway, the Great Depression, almost nobody had new cars. Nobody had new cars. All new cars are sitting in the lots. They don't have... Anybody's not buying cars, obviously, just sitting there. And he had a nice car, and he was actually at a ministry school where some boys were going to school, and they didn't have enough tuition to finish out the rest of the season, rest of the semester, so they were going to have to go back home to the country where they came from. And the Lord said, I want you to sell your car, and I want you to give it to that ministry school for those boys so they can stay in school. 
He said, Lord, I won't have a car. He said, I didn't ask you whether you'd have a car or not. I want you to sell yours, and I want you to take that money. I want you to give it to those boys, and I want you to take, I'll take care of you. Lester Summerall learned how to live in obedience to God. And he said, no problem. He sold his car. He told the chancellor, he said, don't you kick those boys out. I'm going to go sell this car, and I'm going to give you the money. You keep them in school because these boys need to get trained, go back to where they're called to minister. So he did. Now, just months later, he had a friend of his. He actually flew into another city. He had a friend of his pick him up at the airport. He said, you remember Gooch? Funny. I said, yeah, I remember Gooch. He said he wanted to see you. He wanted to say hi to you. It was a guy that actually came to his meetings in this town where he would go. He said he wants you to come see him. Okay, so he said, we're going to stop by on the way, taking you to the hotel. We're going to go see Gooch. So they go by this big lot, and they pull in. Here comes this guy out from this little building. He walks out and says, oh, Dr. Summerall, how you doing? Shakes his head. How you been? Well, I'm doing good, Gooch. How are you doing? Good, good, good. And they start talking and stuff. And he said, you know what? He said, uh, I got it on my heart to do something for you. That's why I asked the pastor to bring you by. He said, what? He said, I want to give you a new car. He said, what? He said, see out there in this parking lot? He was a car dealer. He said, see out here in this parking lot? They're all new cars. I know they're covered with dust, but they're brand new. Nobody's ever driven them. Or not. This is just months after he gave away the other car. And he said, I want you to go pick one out. Guess what it was? A Cadillac dealership. Just go pick one out. You go find which one you want, and you pick it out, and we're going to get it ready for you. He said, Gooch, really, you don't have to do this. He said, no, I want to do it. I want You've been such a blessing to me, I want to bless you. I said, God's got a plan. So he hands him this rag. He said, you're going to have to brush the dust off. And he said, I forget what color he liked, red or something. I think red. So he had to go find a red one. So he found a red one and said, I'll take that one. And so within a half hour, Gooch had it fueled up, sitting right there for him. Title in hand, he said, here's your title, it's your car, here's the keys, drive away. He said, it was far better than the one I sold to bless those boys with the school. I just obeyed God. He said, you should have seen me pulling up to that gas station to fill up that Cadillac the first time. Because nobody was driving new cars. And all the attendants, remember when they used to come out and gas your car? Well, not one came out. They all came out. They're like, can we look at your car? Can we touch your car? Yeah, go ahead. Be careful. It's my car. Don't mess it up. And the Lord said, watch it, son. Don't you covet this thing. He said, yes, sir. <laughs> I'm telling you, you, it's okay to have things, but don't have a lot of possessions and a lot of expensive things. Amen? And then C, 1C, never look down on anyone else thinking you are better or bigger. Because none of us are. Amen? So that's point number one. Don't think you've arrived. Tell your neighbor, don't think you've arrived. Number two, pretty simple. Do not what? Don't watch pornography or plant worldly things in your mind. Anything worldly you're planting in your mind obviously is tied to sin, and that can affect your walk with God. Number three, don't what? Now, this kind of sounds contrary to the Bible, but it is not. But especially the opposite sex. Do you know that a believer is not to counsel? Do you know that only anointed fivefold ministers are supposed to counsel the body of Christ, not believers? Now, it didn't say you can't encourage them. It didn't say you can't tell them the word. It didn't say you can't tell them what the Bible says. When we talk about counseling, what are you doing in counseling? You're getting into private matters. You don't need to get into other people's private matters. And when they want to open up about their private matters to you, guess what that can lead to? Sin. That can lead to sin, especially if it's somebody of the opposite sex. Number four, don't social drink or sip, not even wine. I know I'm going to get a lot of flack on this again, but you know. Guess what the book of Proverbs says? Wine is a mocker. Oh, yeah. And strong drink's a brawler. What's strong drink? Alcohol content added to it. 
So I'm not going to go through this again and again and again, but reality is the, the day in which they lived when they drank wine, it was not in context of what most of what they drank. It was not alcohol added to it. That's strong drink. It has to sit quite a while to ferment to actually get toxins in it. But I will guarantee you the context of wine of their day was simply taking grapes or whatever fruit, you squeeze the juice out, they had to mix water with it to make it palatable. That was called wine in Jesus' day. If we really think Jesus is sitting around drinking alcoholic wine, then he is literally becoming a stumbling block to every single person that's a drunk. Because they're saying, see, he drinks alcohol. There's nothing wrong for us to do that. And the Bible says that's a sin. Jesus never sinned. So I'm going to tell you right now, playing around with any kind of alcohol today is going to take an opportunity to take advantage of your life. Number five, don't have too much free time. What? Yeah. Don't have too much free time. Stay busy exhausting yourself working in the kingdom. Amen. These are great truths. Because what do we learn Wednesday night? If you're abounding in the work of the Lord, how many know that's never in vain? And how many know that when people tend to get in trouble is when they start getting too much free time on their hands? Then the Bible teaches about this, about widows, about young widows. Yeah, they should not what? Allow all this free time on their hands to start going house to house. And just gabbing, gabbing, gabbing. Why? Because it leads to gossip and slander, and that's sin. So don't have too much free time on your hands. I don't mean you can't do some other things, but it's just the point of saying uh, you don't need a bunch of free time where you're not keeping yourself busy with what you should be. Number six, don't what? Don't acquire a haughty spirit. Tell your neighbor, that'd be good for you right there. Praise God. I'm just joking. Making sure you're awake, man. Don't acquire a haughty spirit. Again, that's just lifting yourself up better than others. Number seven, don't be found with bad people, or I like this, flaky friends. I tell you who came up with that one, Dr. Summerall. I guarantee you, pastors never said flaky friends. But I've heard Summerall say it. He said, some of you got some really flaky friends. You need to get rid of these flaky friends of yours. So don't be found again. We talked all about that Wednesday night, about choosing your friends. And the last one, number eight, don't listen to what? Oh, don't listen to your body. Even when it relates to these things, you got to keep self-control over sleep, appetite, vacations, and exercising. Meaning what? You do need to exercise and not just, quote-unquote, don't take care of your body, but you got to watch your appetite. you got to watch your sleep. I'm going to tell you right now, one of the biggest things that affects people today more than ever, they don't get enough sleep. If your body didn't need it, God wouldn't obviously made our bodies in a position to have to have it. We could do without it, but you can't. Your body has to recuperate. You're, one of the things that causes more unhealthy aspects in a person's body's uh, context of their body uh, relating to anything other than other aspects of what you eat, the number one thing that doctors say affects your body and your health more than anything else is a lack of sleep because your whole system is rejuvenating. So if you have a problem sleeping, I have an answer for you. It's called the Word of God. Get off your cell phone. Well, that puts me to sleep. The reason you'll wake back up is because you're thinking about the stuff you were looking at on your cell phone. It's in your brain when you went to sleep. Every doctor that knows about sleep will tell you, you need to start shutting your system down before you go to sleep where you're not getting all this stuff caught up in your mind before you go to bed at night. Amen. Amen. But how do I go to sleep? I'll tell you how. Get the Word of God. The Bible promises that God gives His beloved sleep. How about you learn what I'm about to teach you in a couple weeks about taking the law of God's Word, getting it on your mouth, and confessing it over your life? Now, I know you could deal with some physical challenges that could affect that, but again, take the Word of God and start speaking healing over those parts of your body. 
I'm not, you know, I've had times that I've battled with sleep. But most of the time it's because my mind is on things that shouldn't be. So you got to deal with this because if you what? If you just listen to your body, give your body whatever it wants, how many know it's going to affect your sleep life? How many know it's going to affect your appetite? Should I just eat whatever I want? Now today, don't get mad at me. I had apple pie at lunch today. But I've been a good boy all this week, man. But I don't feed on. Kathy can tell you, man. You know, Kathy buys me these little uh, vanilla. What are they? Oh, those vanilla cookies. These little vanilla. They're made out of good stuff. They are made out of better stuff for you, but they're still got sugar in them and stuff. These little vanilla cookies. Only one gram of sugar per cookie. So one one gram of sugar per cookie, about that big, you know. She'll buy. All fat. Well, let's just not even talk about it, right? <laughs> they're about this big around. They're kind of real thin. They're called thinsters, right? And she said, oh, I can just eat two or three of those and be good. I can't. If she buys me those, because it's a small bag. It's not like this big. It's like a little tiny bag, you know? I mean, seriously, I'm halfway through the bag, and I say, might as well finish it off. You're halfway through the bag. Might as well finish it off, man. But see, that's why I tell her, don't be buying these all the time. Because if you bought them all the time, man, I, see, you got to know yourself. You got to know where your weaknesses are. And if you know that's a weakness for you, you can say, well, boy, you're pretty immature. No, I'll tell you maturity. If I know where my weakness is, I make sure I don't allow myself to be tempted there because we all have them. So true maturity is I'm going to guard against that so I don't keep falling prey to that. Amen. So these are great truths right here. Eight awesome truths from two great men of God that will help us to do what? Stay out of sin. Can you say amen? We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.